Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior, and thank you so much for being here. Thanks for lending us your ears. And again, the only non-renewable resource that you've got, and that's your time. Wherever you are, I know that you could be doing so much with your available time. So thank you for choosing Suncast for the next 60 minutes of your life. I hope that it will be of benefit to you. And hey, if you're new here, I hope you get a ton of value from this episode. If you listen all the way through, I have a special ask of you. I hope you'll leave a rate and review. And ultimately, the number one way you could show your appreciation is to subscribe and come back for the next show. Well, today's entrepreneurs are certainly no stranger to the startup ride. They have started a number of companies. Most recently, they have made it all the way to round three, the go round of the solar prize funded through National Renewable Energy Labs in REL. You've heard us talk about it here before, so I won't go into great details, but Tim and Steve are entrepreneurs I've come to respect and making it that far in the solar prize is something to take note of. In particular, they're automated robots that help us maintain solar sites is something that I took note of and I thought that you might find it interesting as well. Not just the technology, but how in the world they got around to the technology, including some tinkering around in their garage, as all good startup stories should include. And if you love this story, I hope that you'll go check out more than 340 plus episodes over at mysuncast.com or, of course, right inside of the app that you are currently listening to. Spotify, iTunes. Is anybody using Google uh, Music still, Natalie? You listening to that? Uh, I use another app called Pocket Cast. A lot of you use Overdrive. I don't know how I would even know what you listen to or listening on, but you know, we do have a listener survey at mysuncast.com. So if you're over there, uh, I hope that question is one of the questions we've asked on that survey and hope you'll take it. I read through all of them. Helps me know how we can serve you better. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Warriors, as I promised today, we're going to look at what it takes to get a product off the ground. We're going to look through the eyes of a team of entrepreneurs who have experience doing just that, but also have some credibility as inventors and have come through what many of you have uh, seen us talking about here on Suncast, the solar prize, the Made in America solar prize. Our guests today, Tim Matis and Steve Arters, our co-founders of a company called Renew Robotics. We'll probably get into a bit of what Renew is, but first, I'd love to get into the backstory of their entrepreneurial journey. So welcome to the show, Steve and Tim. Thank you, Nico. Really appreciate it. Glad to be on the show today. Tim, I get the sense that 
that you're a serial entrepreneur. And I know we've talked a bit about some of the work that you've done. I'd love to hear a bit about your journey into clean tech. But how far back would you say that your entrepreneurial journey or inventor sort of seed goes? That's an interesting question. Certainly, I grew up on a farm in Minnesota and spent my whole life there until I went to college. And I was an inventor early on. I always liked to make stuff. I was out in the shop when everybody else was watching the football game. When it was 20 below, I was trying to figure out how to heat a little shop so I could work in it and make something or build something. But I got interested in solar power very early on and really tried to do some experiments, really more of a heat-related type of thing, capturing solar power to heat houses as, you know, growing up in Minnesota, it was pretty cold all the time. So it always caught my interest, although I didn't see a way to really turn it into dollars and cents. My father, when I was in sixth grade, I remember him saying, what are you going to be when you grow up? The only thing I could think of was being a mechanic. And he looked at me and he said, how about a mechanical engineer? Quite a few years later, I graduated from South Dakota State University with a degree in mechanical engineering. Do you remember some of the first Early ideas for you that gained traction uh, that, that for you felt like, okay, I probably am not going to spend a whole lot of time working for other people. I'm probably destined to work for myself. You know, entrepreneurs don't have to get too concerned about their first ideas being great and wonderful. I had, you know, notebooks and things full of ideas and some of them were good and some of them were pretty ugly. And I, I remember making a handle for a cabinet for my, for my mother. And when I look back, it was so ugly how she ever let me put it on that cabinet. It was just amazing. And that stayed on there for years. So, you know, <laughs> that, that initial start isn't always going to be really pretty. Just remember, keep with it. It's always about the journey, the long journey with it and getting better and better. My first patent uh, was when I worked at a company called Miller Electric. My first job out of college, I worked for a company in Wisconsin, Appleton, Wisconsin, and they made welding equipment and power supplies. And it was a great opportunity for me to work for them doing design engineering work. And I came up with an idea around a, really, it was just a cart for lifting gas cylinders onto a welding cart. And that was my first patent. You know what? I, I don't know if it ever made any money, but it was really neat for me. It was really my, my launching point to really be an entrepreneur. But I started within a couple of years of working at Miller, I felt like I wasn't pushed enough on what I could do. And I started the MBA program at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. So I wanted to add the business side to the engineering side. I knew I would always be an entrepreneur, but that moved me you know, into achieving more, even at that company. And so my first startup really was for Miller Electric. It was purchased by Illinois Toolworks, which is a Fortune 200 company within a couple of years. And there was a product area they had looked at it and said, we don't know what to do with it. As Illinois Toolworks came in, they were just basically getting rid of parts of businesses that didn't make sense. And so I was given a chance to look at the plasma cutting piece of business. I remember a vice president that came to me and said, hey, would you take a look at this and just see if we should actually make a business out of it or what we should do? Or should we just kill the product line and just move somewhere else? And so I said, well, let me take a look at it. They had to change my title to product manager. It was actually the scariest thing ever to be changed from development engineer to a product manager because, you know, it was hard to really find the value of a product manager and what they do, right? They had a piece of marketing. and yeah. But I grew to really appreciate that title and what they do. I took a look at that business and I, and I analyzed it, but I was also able to go through the MBA program at the same time while I was doing that. So I looked at it and I said, you know what, this is a business worthwhile. 
Yeah, it's like your own little living lab. That's amazing because I imagine having gone through MBA, you one of the few students in the MBA program who had an active business people could tinker on were always asking questions like, hey, we've got this problem. How would you solve it? Yeah, absolutely. So I looked at it. I did a you know marketing plan. I did a business plan. And of course, back at the corporate side, they just they were really happy that I put something together. And I said, yeah, this is worth going after. And, and we launched that business. And I ran that whole piece with engineers, with the production crew, with marketing, with accounting and everything. So that was my first startup. Now, I, I did it underneath a large company. So when you're an entrepreneur, it doesn't mean it has to be on your own to start with. That was a great startup with lots of support because we, we can't do it alone. I love the, that you bring it back to that idea of the entrepreneur, someone who is launching a business unit or an idea from within a company. We have a lot of folks like you on Suncast talking about entrepreneurship because it is another path to creating value. And it's a very meaningful path, especially in the patent world, because as we know, like you know, major patent shops like IBM and Motorola have hundreds, thousands of entrepreneurs, right? Filing patents and coming up with ideas. They just happen to have a big balance sheet to go after those projects. And it's something I encourage folks a lot of times to think about if, uh, if they don't necessarily have the capital or the, the knowledge base or the wherewithal to go after an idea on their own. Like just, if you're, if you're an idea machine, then go into one of these bigger companies, but don't just sort of stick to your knitting, figure out where ideas are being cultivated and, and seed your own. You had this great opportunity at Illinois Toolworks, but you, you obviously aren't at Illinois Toolworks today. Help me understand the journey that led you away from that, even away from mechanical engineering altogether in some in in a couple of uh, instances. You've you've had a broad, diverse background from marketing technology to the one company Flow Data. Help me understand your entrepreneurial journey that led you to you know, start thinking about clean tech. You know, working at at Miller uh, after I got that business unit going, and we got up to about fifteen million in revenues. Then I ran the R and D department for Miller Electric, which was enjoyable, fun. Uh, it was more of a hard management position, of course, but uh, we still did a lot of innovative stuff. My wife at the time was interested in moving to a different location and taking on a position. She got an opportunity at USAA in San Antonio, Texas. We always wanted to live south sometimes. So we said, hey, let's let's do it. So we took a move. It was hard because I was offered some other opportunities uh, at Illinois Toolworks. Mm. We came down here and I got a chance to really, what I saw it as a chance for me to really start my entrepreneurial career in starting other businesses. So I came down here. The first thing I started doing is just consulting work on patent research. <laughs> so I did that for a couple of years. It was interesting. You could make a lot of money on it, but it really wasn't taking care of my need for creating a business and starting the entrepreneurial side. So I launched a company early on called H2O Power Innovations. And you can tell it's an engineer creating a name, right? That's why Steve, I always bring him to these conversations because if we need marketing, we need we need him involved, uh, you know, but this is an engineer making a business. And I would say that was that was a fail of mine. It was moving along. It was coming along okay. What we did is we made... Uh, high pressure washers. They were car washes that we could put in homes or business. You could put a car wash on the wall in your garage or, you know, at a, a wash bay where you keep your equipment, lawnmowers and tractors and that type of thing. So it was coming along pretty well. And then 2008 hit and the housing market disappeared. So most of our sales were going into new homes. 
So we ended up closing the business, but we had developed a full product line, really got the manufacturing moving forward, and it was it was getting a good uptick. And so sometimes the entrepreneur isn't in control. Sometimes it's the market. Sometimes it's the economy. Sometimes it's the industry. And so you hear that more and more that, you know, being an entrepreneur and a successful entrepreneur is about failing a bunch of times and then figuring out what works. So it was a good product line. It was a good idea, but it, it eventually failed. You have to have revenues to support what you're doing and you have to have enough interest. And it just disappeared after the housing market crash in 2008-9. Well, you mentioned Steve and I'd be remiss to let Steve sit on the sidelines for too much longer. Steve, why don't you introduce yourself? And I'd like to hear a bit about how you met Tim. Yeah, so I'm Steve Orders, Chief Marketing Officer here at Renew Robotics. And my background, just very quickly, is I was actually a national wire service reporter in Dallas. And because of a family issue, moved to San Antonio and had a agency that was acquired by another agency. So I had started, finally spun off and started another agency. And one of the clients was a logistics company. So I came in and was helping that logistics company with marketing and met Tim Mattis. So when we started working together, then we eventually spun off and started another marketing agency together. And so we had a whole spectrum of clients. Was ITSA energy between the two of you? So as we were kind of working, Tim started to look at this possibility in the oil industry, and he wanted to leave the agency and start that. So we started talking about it. And I said, hey, I'd love to work with you on it. So it was just going to be a, they were going to have some sort of manufacturing capability inside the oil industry. That's pretty much what we knew. So what I was looking at was either to helping him with the name, logo, and branding for either oil, energy, perhaps didn't know. So we're looking at a lot of different things. But if you've ever done name and brand research in the oil or energy industry, you name it, it's already taken. So I was looking at several different languages on kind of trying to figure out whether it was going to be oil or energy and came across a website that had the Cherokee dialect in it and found Eagle was ITSA. And so it's oil or it's energy and it was born. I love it. Uh, I'm glad that you gave that background. It reminds me for those of us who are fans of uh, Gimlet Media and the startup podcast when when Alex Blumberg was trying to name his company at one point. I remember, uh, and you guys will appreciate this as well for the naming. He thought about naming Gimlet Arello uh, and Arello means ear in Esperanto. And when he when he explained it to his wife and they left this in the podcast, which I thought was amazing, there was just this bellowing laugh from her. And she said, she said out loud, that's so stupid. And <laughs> and I think all of us uh, who are marketers who at any point have tried to either help ourselves or our clients with naming have gone through that moment where you're like, God, that sounded so good at 11 o'clock at night. But when you guys told me the name Itza, I thought, wow, that actually really does does sound cool. It doesn't even matter that it's Eagle or, or Cherokee. Like finding that name is often just itself a really difficult process and it needs to be memorable. And I love the I love the way that you guys came together in helping each other solve the pieces that were a natural component to growing a business and a brand. And, and we're going to get a bit into some, in the brand you guys are launching now, but it's a energy it was an automation 
business in the oil and gas industry and it set the framework, set the foundation for a lot of what you guys are exploring now. So we met through your exposure to the Made in America Solar Prize. Many who are longtime listeners would recognize that, you know, 2019, when they did the first round winners, we were right there to announce it and have been following closely. And now we're connectors for NREL. So it's been really interesting to watch companies like yours come through with great fanfare and product that many of us in the industry look at and just sort of, it's a, it's a facepalm going, wait, this is so obvious. And why isn't anyone doing this? Well, why don't you give me a bit of insight into your latest foray into entrepreneurship, Tim? Tell me how the idea occurred to you that there was a gap in the renewable energy market and and your natural skill set served the bill to solve a problem. Absolutely. I'll, I'll walk through that starting journey. At the time that we came up with the idea around this, I was very close to buying a company up by Dallas. It was really a cabinet manufacturer. So it was interesting. It looked profitable. It wasn't exciting for me, but through the due diligence, the deal fell through. And I just said, okay, I got to go figure out my next step and what I'm going to do. So let me interrupt you right there. At the time when he was looking at this, we were actually working together again in another life on a streaming company. So so, so I knew yeah. he was working on different So things. it was another startup. We were doing some work. We were just kind of consulting and helping and that's seeing right. if we can move it forward. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I reached out to another founding partner with us, Mike Hyman. Mike was a, a pilot in the Navy and retired, and he was working in the solar industry. And I always had that love way back from the early times of looking at solar just never found that way to to really monetize what I was looking at. And so I gave him a call and said, hey, do you have any ideas? And Mike is an idea guy. He's always coming up with different ways to do things better. He actually rattled out three different opportunities in the solar industry. And normally when you talk to people there, they think, um, maybe I can come up with an idea. But he rattled off three right away. Well, the one that hit me was what we ended up doing. He said, you know, in this industry, he was putting out contracts uh, to take care of mowing around the solar farms. And the solar farms, you know, they're, they're getting more and more all the time. It was a growing industry. And these are tough contracts. And the cost to mow around large solar farms is really, really getting larger. And, and it actually could affect the profitability of these solar farms. He took me out to see one of the solar farms uh, soon afterwards. I said, let me take a look at this. This really seems interesting to me from a technology standpoint and from an opportunity standpoint. And so uh, I said, let me, let me do a little research. And so I took a look at the market to understand the market size. And he had some data on that. And I continued to look at what I could find around the market. So utility scale solar is what we were aiming at. And then I said, let me take a look from the technology standpoint. And it just so happened that we were like almost perfect timing around the technology because I felt this had to be, if we were going to figure out an autonomous solution, automatic solution to mow around these solar panels, it's going to have to be electric. So battery technology had just come to the point where the costs were coming down. It was coming out in high volume. Tesla had driven a lot of that. Other car companies were really going battery. So it was interesting timeframe. Not only that, you think about vision systems for an autonomous vehicle. And there were several companies out there, a lot of companies making 
uh, LIDAR and, uh, you know, radar and other things that could provide a vision system for autonomous vehicles. And LIDAR was really kind of the key top one, but it was very expensive. I mean, a typical LIDAR was $20,000. It had just come down to the point where it was feasible, where it was under $5,000 to buy a LIDAR that would be sufficient enough to do what we needed to do. So as we looked at that, the technology came, it was the right timing for the technology. It was the right timing for the market. We saw the market potentially growing through many years as we're still seeing now, and we'll see it probably for the next decade. So within two months, this was in February of 2018, I reached out to them. Within two months, uh, we started moving forward with the company. The nature of the business is remote autonomous vehicles. Can you explain a bit the the tech that you are trying to bring to market? And in particular, you've gotten a lot of experience doing this now with the Solar Prize. How do you couch it? What's the elevator pitch for what Renew Robotics does? So what Renew Robotics does is we've developed an autonomous electric tractor that will serve maintenance purposes on solar farms and specifically utility scale and commercial scale solar farms. So you think of these farms that are 20 acres, but up to two to 3,000 acres. We're making an electric tractor that will provide all types of maintenance. Initially, our system will be mowing the grass. Eventually, we'll be able to inspect solar panels. We'll be able to clean solar panels and we'll be able to provide other weeding opportunities and spraying uh, in those solar farms. So what we've done is develop that electric tractor with enough power to be able to go out and operate for six hours or more out in the solar field. It can charge off of solar power, a whole set of solar panels charging it up or off just AC power. So that's the tractor and the product that we're bringing to market. I have a whole bevy of questions that I want to ask about the product itself, because, you know, what I find interesting is why entrepreneurs decide when you get to the place where you guys are getting into a seed round, looking at a series A, you're making a five plus year bet on your life and how you're going to spend it. What do you feel right now as a serial entrepreneur is the number one headache for you at this stage? We'll disclose you've just successfully closed a series, a seed series in the investment for the company. What are your top one or two struggles right now for the company? The one top struggle, as you could imagine, we're taking this business from a few small, a small business with few people, and they have all the information, all the knowledge, everything that that is about the business is about them. And now we need to grow it where we bring in another group of people, engineers, people that can do marketing and sales and really transfer that drive and that knowledge onto that group of people. Not only that, we want the best people and we don't have the budgets of large companies to be able to do that. So we have to get innovative in how we bring them in, how we reward them and create that drive that they're willing to take the the time, take the risk and jump in and say, Hey, you know what? I do think this is going to become something. I think this is going to grow. And so I'm willing to to step to the side a little bit, knowing that you know, I'll still make money, I'll still do okay, but my real gain is going to be, you know, if we get a few shares of the company and we can really grow this over the next few years. What I can tell you is, and I've I've always had to do this, it's done with a lot of enjoyment all the way around. There's so much enjoyment working in a startup. The excitement is there every day. 
it's so fun and people typically jump in pretty happy. Now, when you've been working for two years, 10 to 12 hour days, six to seven days a week, it wears on you. So we, we've run into that too, where we get to that point. What we're hoping to do is, you know, in this next stage, as we move forward, we'll be able to back those down a little bit. So we have a little more time for people to actually relax and enjoy because it, it is hard. You, you get all those things that happen in the business. You're trying to transfer things on. You're trying to bring in materials. You're trying to launch a product. You're trying to still develop stuff. You still have things you have to fix on the software side, you know, just lots of things to it. But really transferring that knowledge and that information on is hard because those key people that are still there at the beginning, they have a hard time transferring it and letting it go. At the same time, they have to, they have to know how to do that. So that's that's one of the pieces that's a, the key struggle as we go from here forward. The struggle before was getting that first investor, right? All right, so you've got Salesforce for your sales team. How's that working out for you? How great would it be if someone could actually just come in and really make your whole solar sales process deliver results? And what's more, what if you could actually see all the sales data in one dashboard? Pipeline, forecast, aging, deals that are about to close, the whole darn thing. Look, I have someone who can help do all that. They're called Indium. And right now, for a limited time, you can get a Salesforce tune-up, a process assessment from them entirely on the house. Just click on the Indium logo over at mysuncast.com and start getting more value from Salesforce finally. You know, it's the time of year where folks start moving around from business to business, job to job, career transition is at its peak. And it's often a time where folks look to someone else to help organize their thoughts and guide their principles. I've spent the last 15 years in renewables. I've spent the last five years coaching founders and startup executives in this space specifically. And for the last year, I've been helping folks transition out of oil and gas and other industries into renewables. And I've found that there are a few things that are commonalities. I'd like to invite you, if that sounds like something you're interested in, to have a conversation with me about whether or not coaching might be in your future and working with me might be something that would help level up your business or your personal career path. You can fill out an application over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the work with me button in the very top right. And everyone who fills out an application, I'm going to set up a 15 minute clarity call. So I'd invite you to run, fill that out. If this sounds remotely interesting to you and let's have a chat, see if there is in fact a fit. I look forward to chatting soon. Thank you so much for tuning into Suncast. Let me know if I can help you in other ways. This comes back for me to the chicken and egg of IP versus market validation. And you need this trifecta of market validation, IP, and an investor to help scale the business. How do you think about that before you get to a, a seed stage investment? It's the three S, friends, family, and fools in your angel round, like even before your angel round, to try and get to the point where you can even entice an investor. I would go back a little bit to, you know, if you ever read the book, Lean Startups, it's a good piece. What you have to do is have to put something out there that makes it visible and easy for people to feel. They have to get an emotional response when they see what you're going to produce to believe in you and invest in you. So, Family is a little bit different. You might have that already, right? They'll put a little bit of money, but you have to be careful because it may not succeed. So with family and friends, you want to 
have them jump in as much as they can without hurting them too much, right? So you need to get to the next stage. But now you need to think about all the other pieces, right? If it's a product, one thing is if it's software, it's a little easier to do. If it's a product, you have to have a place to make it, right? So, you know, how are you going to make a prototype and how are you going to make that first prototype? And it can be ugly. It can be strange looking. But if it kind of does what it needs to do, that's all you need to do. It's that lean piece of the startup. Don't overthink it. Don't overdo it. Just do it. Get it done. Get something to move forward. If it's software, it's getting those first screens. It's getting it to look like it should look and act like it should act, even if it's really manual on the backside. What you need to do is provide something that gives them belief that you can carry it forward and that you have accomplished something in each stage along the way. Uh, and so that's what we did. A product that we made as kind of a prototype was basically a wheelchair frame that we came into a model. And we that was absolutely it. We got it sitting out here and we made a, a mowing deck out of wood that it never cut anything, but it was kind of interesting looking and we could run it around with remote control. Well, that was the first step. We did that in a couple of weeks, right? All of a sudden, we've got some piece that people can get an idea and a concept in their mind of what we're going to produce. The next one we produced was with a bunch more work. So it was putting together real parts, bringing it together. And this was the real garage prototype. You would find me welding in my garage at midnight working on this prototype as we put it together. We had an investor come in early on, and this investor was one of the key people in the solar industry. And he was a COO of one of the large solar companies at, at one time. He put some early money in, some seed money in. I gave him a date of when I was going to have this prototype done. And we met that date. Now that yeah. was painful. <laughs> that was painful. So, but you have to make promises. You know, for those who perhaps have no concept of what it looks like in early stage investment, can we just at least set a parameter or a boundary for folks in terms of understanding and expectation? More or less, are we talking this person dropped, you know, 25,000 or 250,000? What sort of range should people expect at that level of early product development? Yeah, I, I think in the range you can really expect somewhere between twenty-five to a hundred thousand. And so this investor put a hundred thousand in. That's why I was willing to make a commitment on a date of getting things done and then really following through on it. And when he saw that, you know, it, it kind of helped that whole process. I think what it is from my perspective is a bet on this is more a Jim Collins style concept here, but he was betting on you guys, the team, more than the idea. No doubt about it. And also the opportunity that exists in the industry. And I think that that's the thing that Tim was describing earlier. And I think that that's the thing that we continue to explore and also unveil as well. Steve, how much time were you investing at this stage on market validation of the idea to support the mechanical engineering that Tim and his, and his guys were, were working on? Well, early, early on quite a bit, but as Tim is also in being able to talk to him every day, we were just sort of ramping up and trying to put together because early on when we were writing the branding copy, I mean, it was all projected. We didn't have every place yet, but uh, Tim's background, as he's explained, as far as mechanical engineer, also in manufacturing, and then with a, with a strong marketing background, he's able to see the things that we need to say and where we are in the timeline to be able to say. Right. So mm-hmm. it's been a, it, it was always a very big help in doing that because from a marketing perspective, I mean, I'm looking at personas, right? Target personas. What's the unique value proposition? How are we going to sell this? It's a give and take. One thing I'll add to that, Steve, is you know, I, I think entrepreneurs don't always know when to pull in somebody else to help 
they think they can do everything. And I knew Steve, so, and because I knew about, you know, what we need to do on the marketing side from past experience, I was able to quickly go, Steve, I need your help on this. Come in. And sometimes that's a hard thing because entrepreneurs starting out new things with inventions don't know what they don't know. They think they're kind of an expert in everything or could be. And that probably is true. But if they really have to focus on their product, they can't take time to be an expert on everything. They need to bring people into the So, Nico, let me, let me just describe a, a key strategy right from the beginning. So, one of the things we talked about is we believe media coverage, whether it was the traditional or online, was important for legitimacy to show that we had an actual idea that could work. It was not just entrepreneurs talking about, hey, this is the really way to be able to do this. So we worked and worked on both local media and also some online media. But in today's world, podcasts sort of take some of that traditional media role. So from a media relations strategy standpoint, pod, you know, it's, it's a mix. And that's something that we've constantly done almost from the beginning. So you've been on other podcasts? Have. That's cool. That's cool. What are some of the podcasts that you have targeted that have picked it up? And, and how, I'd love to hear more. I'm fascinated by what sort of traction you're getting. It's a story I try to tell folks all the time, obviously. But what other podcasts have you uh, appeared on and, and what sort of traction, Steve, can you tie back to those appearances? One of the early podcasts we were on was Tim Montague's podcast talking about the solar industry. And he was very, he was very interested in the technology and what the Renewbot could eventually be. I love Tim. He's got a great, he's really gone into uh, focusing on YouTube and he's such a, a developer minded geek when it comes to finding the technology that is scalable in our industry. So kudos to Tim. I, I had never heard of Renewbot before, uh, before you guys were on his show. So that's a great one. It's a great example too. And, and Tim always, he and I collaborate a lot on ideas and try to send each other guests, um, so that's, that's really interesting. You know, one of the questions I have that I want to back up to make sure I answered is how important early on is the intellectual property and where does that, how does that compete with resources and time to market validation? Yeah, actually, that's, that's a good question. I, I'd love to talk about that here because it, it is an entrepreneur's dilemma. IP is difficult because, you know, they think they have an idea and they want to patent it. At the same time, you don't know if that patent's worth anything. So, right. And you've got a small amount of money. You need to figure out what to do with it. There is an approach to handle some of that. Certainly, you look at it and you got to look at it and say, is it really something we need to protect? Is it really new to the industry? Or am I just coming up with more of a business concept that I really need to chase and there's not really IP in it? So, Either one still can make a good business. That IP, you know, sometimes it's really the processes and software and stuff that you're working on. But if nobody really has done that, like we have, we're going out in the market and really providing an industrial piece of equipment that's autonomous to mow and solar. There's nobody doing that. We are the only one. So the IP is really important. Now, there's different processes to do that. You can file a provisional patent, which is low cost, but then you really need to file your patent within a year. And we have done that. And we've also moved into a heavier strategy. Now, when you do get those investors backing you, you can put together a strategy around your IP. It's going to cost you a bunch of money at that point in time. And you probably want to hit the provisional, the one or two patent to start with before you start thinking about this. So, you know, we're talking about the hundreds of thousands and we are moving forward to do that where we do a protection of, of more of an architecture around our patent plan. 
So it's not just, hey, here's an invention, let's go patent it. It's more of, okay, where's our business? Where are we going? How will the industry change? And how do we really architect our way through that to make sure we've captured the most important things that are fitting to this market? You know, it's great to have the patent that's all-encompassing and captures the world. Those are hard to find. If you got that, chase it and get the patent in place, and you'll probably get somebody to throw money at you. But uh, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you just got to bring it along. And sometimes you got to make sure you don't go broke because you just file for patents. Make sure what you file really makes sense. Well, it's also a matter of time, correct? I mean, you're spent so much on developing, but it also takes time to put those patents together, as important as they may be. But you're 24 hours in a day, right? Yeah. Yeah, And that's kind of the core of the question that I'm posing is, if you have limited time and resources and you have to exchange one for the other, what's more important, market validation or protecting IP? And I think that's like you said, that's an entrepreneur dilemma that every product company has to think about. Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, you have to validate your market. And again, that would change if somebody came up with some invention that there's absolutely nothing like that out there. I think more of those are going to come from science labs and those type of things to pay biotech and other areas. But Validate your market. And the reality is the first guy to market, if you push it hard, you can be the winner too. So you don't have to have IP. And the market itself can protect in that regard, uh, can protect your IP as long as you do file early enough, you're provisional because you've got prior art in the market that can, you can that's defensible if someone does come along and try to claim or sort of, I guess, claim a patent right around you. That's a whole separate podcast we could get into. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. But what about, uh, you know, getting into the mower market takes you head on against formidable companies like Kubota. And even, I mean, Spider has brought this product to market that, you know, Russell Pacific has, I think, this mower that's remote controlled. How unique in the marketplace is your product when it seems like the kinds of technology that all the EV companies are using, LiDAR and the like, robotics, like all the drone companies are using, can easily be adapted to existing tractor companies? Well, you know, you can look at that. And what what I see is, you know, people, when they typically try to aim at it, they come from the small lawnmower and try to put it into this industry. I took it from the point of the car industry and the farming industry, large equipment and figure out how we bring it down into the solar industry. So it's a little different approach in order to make it really complete what we needed it to do in this, in this solar facility. There's a lot of challenges there. And so, you know, some of the remote control mowers are really neat. Spider does have really a neat machine. And so it works good for ditches and other things, but if you don't decrease costs for them, then you're really not solving their problem. Uh, You still have to have a truck out there. You still have to have a machine. You still have to fuel it. You know, what we've done is is said, hey, we we can't have anybody out there driving a truck all the time every day to deal with it and operate it. We need to make something that really is automation for them. And so- So is this, hang on, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but is this like essentially the Roomba of solar plants? Like, does this thing just sort of bump around the park and make its own zone and figure out where it's got to go? And then it just automatically goes there and cuts grass and returns back to its dock? So it is, we have people that say that's the Roomba of grass cutting. And it's not quite that because there's a lot more sophistication in the way we have to operate because we lose signals. You can lose signals under panels. It has to have a memory. It has to know what it's doing, move forward, and then capture our 
yeah, the GPS again later on. So it is similar to that. But as, as you say, it is a great way to say, yes, we are the Roomba of the solar. Well, we can go out there and figure it out and and it will be held in memory and it makes it easy. And now the customer can get their mowing done really simple and easy. And we monitor it on the whole time. So think about this. This is another piece that's really key in the way we operate. We have a control room where we're monitoring all the units that are out there. As you can imagine, they're industrial. So things can happen. So if somebody drives a truck out there and leaves it in the middle where it's supposed to mow, it'll actually call us and we'll be monitoring it and we'll be able to look on cameras and say, hey, somebody left a truck out. We'll send a note out to the customer and let them know and we'll ask for their plan of whether we should mow in a different area today uh, and we can route around it. It seems like the Nova sources and MaxGens of the world are really your clients, right? Definitely those large those large companies that are O&M providers our companies as well as the asset owners. So the asset owners are always trying to make it look good, keep it operating to its maximum efficiency. So they're interested. And then they hire O&M providers that are out there keeping those sites maintained. So both of those are our customers. I could get in a long discussion now with Steve about push versus pull here, but I'm curious actually if there's a broader market beyond renewables for this product. Absolutely. Uh, Certainly in robotics, but go, go ahead and give your thoughts. But yes, you can imagine, um, you know, to my calculation, you know, it's a the landscaping business is a $99 billion business in the U.S. So, you know, that involves a lot of different stuff, but mowing is still a big piece of that. We have things that are changing in our environment. And if you've noticed all the fires out in California, if you remember the PG&E thing, which is, uh, you know, it's kind of sad to see that, that, that there was fires that caused people to move homes and other stuff. Well, these mowers that we're making, we're looking at solving other problems as well. As you can imagine, around power transmission, energy companies, we're going to be looking at those other locations and seeing how we can fulfill a need to make sure we maintain areas and keep them as less of a fire hazard by maintaining those. The inspections on power lines and other things, those can be done with our systems. So lots of opportunity, we think, but yet we're going to be very focused in the solar until we solve it. Really do a good so job. Just, just to add something to Tim's explanation as far as Renew is concerned, not only first to market, but there's also nothing on the autonomous market like the Renew bot right there. So from a UVP, I mean, it captures not, o- not only the inside pole, but also the technologically uh, capabilities from that point. Yeah, I think that drone technology is going to be a big competitor for you on, on the inspection side of the business. Because there's a lot of your same perspective clients that are deploying drones and drones are autonomous and drones are able to do a lot of the IV infrared inspection stuff that you guys can do from the ground. They can do from the air. So it'd be interesting to watch. I think that there's a compelling case. I think that the broader case beyond the test market, as I see it for solar for you guys, is that, like you said, the nearly 100 billion dollar lawn care management. Uh, I mean, let's not forget the number of golf courses that spec the landscape across the United States that every day have humans driving tractors all over them. A drone can't fix that. And this is technology that ultimately will will back into a bigger market. So I'm really impressed. And eliminate all your carbon emissions that you're talking about from a renewable. Yeah, that's right. I can imagine I mean, with six hours runtime, the average uh, golf course is doing only about two or three hours of mowing a morning. And they've got probably a half dozen mowers out. So you could start these things 
autonomously without waiting to see when the first crew arrives as soon as the as soon as the sensors tell you that the dew is dry enough i mean there's a there's a lot of ways to extrapolate how this could um, apply to bigger markets but how did you find out about the solar prize and what did getting through the first couple of rounds do for helping you position and refine your message so we were at solar power international in 2018 which uh was a great event for us. I can tell tell you uh, another partner of ours, Tony Paget, was along with me over to that show. It was interesting. He had been lining up meetings with potential customers. Tony Paget had worked in the industry quite a long time, really managing the O and M process as well as managing you know maintenance in the energy industry. So it's pretty well connected. We got a booth, and it was one of these special deals, right? The low cost ten by ten booth. And it was it was 2019 that we 19 mm-hmm. and 19. So we knew we had to get a robot there, and so it was quite a challenge. As you can imagine, we were so busy uh, putting together our Generation Two robot for that show, and that was the one, two in the morning type of work getting it put together. Our engineers were that going. I was building a crate that was welded together to be able to manage it so we get it to the show um and we and we and we just got it there done in time for the truck to show up to load it up and get it sent and then you you hope it actually gets there so so that spi show was was fantastic so we got we got the product there our 10 by 10 booth our machine is uh about 11 feet long <laughs> it's a 10 by 10 booth right so <laughs> it looked pretty impressive there, so, <laughs> but it stuck stuck out a little bit. But uh, and we can move it around a little bit and move the the, top, the cutting deck up and down. Uh, while we were there, we got a lot of attention, uh, as you can imagine, because there was just nothing like it there at that show. And a lady from a National Renewable Energy Laboratory came up to me and said, "Hey, you guys should apply to the solar contest." And I've never heard about it before. And so that was the first connection we had to the solar prize. So Tony and I both had looked at it and said, yeah, we, we definitely got to apply to this. Didn't know if we'd have any chance. And initially we thought, well, it's so different than, any, than making a solar panel or solar power, but hey, let's, let's do it anyway. Uh, the interest in the show was, like I said, was incredible just because it was robotic, it was autonomous, and the need was really starting to build around the utility scale solar industry for you know an automated solution for cutting so lots of interest in that we've carried those conversations forward and those those customers are already starting to you know put their vote in by buying the generation three systems now that they're ready to go to production with i remember chatting with you guys when you were getting ready for the announcement of who the finalists would be and if folks are not sure how the solar prize works, there's three rounds ready, set, go ready. I think it's a hundred or something uh, companies they choose and set is 10 companies and you get, how much is it? So $20,000 or something like that? $50,000? Yeah, 50000 on the ready and then 100000 on the set and 75000 vouchers. And then it was a half a million and 75000 vouchers for the right. go contest. So you guys won, uh, you know, successive rounds. It seems to me, I remember that you were getting sort of getting ready, trying to get investors in, involved, get folks interested in the investment thesis. 
and you were cleared through the set, which is 100,000, 175,000 in um, non-dilutive investment in the company, essentially in the form of access to NREL and grants and uh, vouchers to use at the national labs, which itself is a phenomenal opportunity to sort of level up the testing of your IP, right? And getting it, getting it to the next stage. But how did the contest itself, for those who perhaps are in your similar shoes, how did that actually help you close your round? Did it, did, I understand that it helped bring a little more interest to the company. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it was, it was very helpful, you know, and you don't know until you really get involved in it because it takes some time. I, I got Steve involved, you know, and he was working on really our marketing piece, but everything we kind of had to do for that solar prize became our next marketing tool to let people know about our company. So it forced us to put videos together. It forced us to put really better presentations together. It forced us to have some discipline. It also helped us to vet the technology against a whole bunch of other technologies, which is really helpful in that prize. So that initial round, that ready round is 120 applicants that are in there. And we moved to the next round where it's 20 mm -hmm. applicants. And we won that round as well, right? The set round. And then that was down to 10 finalists at that point in time. Uh, so it really did provide, it also provided, you know, that marketing material to talk to investors, but it was also something we could talk about every time we had a conversation. We did a lot of pitches to investors and that always brought lots of interest. As you can imagine, it just gave some viability of our product in that industry right, right. away. And credibility. Renewbot benefits quite a bit from video because the viewer oh, can see it, understand it. I mean, it makes and. As Internet Retailer Magazine says, a consumer is 85% more likely to buy after watching video than, than reading text. So in this case, I mean, it really speaks to exactly the benefits from a standpoint of, of what you're getting in Renewbot. The video that we're putting together from the industry, the persona targets that we're really trying to do, are very different than the judges who are looking at the video because they're educators, right? So some of their questions and feedback when we would review it with the panel would come back and they were perhaps more fundamental in, in nature. Pedestrian, yeah. It was great exercise, really a good, really good exercise. Yeah, to get back to first principles of why the product needs to exist at all. Exactly right. So back to your earlier point, Steve, what were some of the key issues that you did or, or do now encounter trying to get this product into the market? We, when I asked kind of what are your headaches as an entrepreneur and you, you're tasked with marketing the product and finding buyers, what do you see as the key challenges? Main thing to brand is, is really starting to figure out from a messaging and branding standpoint or whatever the objections that we may encounter and how to answer those objections. But again, mm -hmm. the uniqueness of the product and the fact that there's nothing else on the autonomous market today is gives us the inside pull. It's just now the way that the industry has always done things in the past and that we're introducing a new way to do it. So we're figuring out what are all of the objections and how do we correctly answer it. But yeah, and, and yesterday we we spent some time working on our strategy around marketing and budgets and those type of things. Right. And, and we talked about the personas of who are we really selling to, right? Who are the people involved in that decision process? And so that's often missed as well with entrepreneurs as they think about it. They're just going to sell a product, right? It's consumer. It's a little different. But when you're talking in industrial, then you have multiple people in the chain and making that decision. And there's different reasons why they make the decision to go with your product. Sometimes it's because of its 
it, it's neat. It's clean energy. And it's a neat thing to connect with our company. Sometimes it's really about saving money. It could be a whole bunch of things. And you have to really understand those people in that process and how they make their decisions and then market to that. And so that's why we, we talk through those conversations. And so the nuances will have different levels, right? And many times when you're talking to entrepreneurs and they're developing a new product and you ask them, so who is your target market for this? And they say, well, everybody, everybody's going to want this. Well, that wrong answer. So in this particular market that's very technical and has done ways a certain way for so long, we're plowing new ground here. Well, and let me talk about the other end, maybe the not so nice end that entrepreneurs have to face every day. For every product you bring to market, there are people that will fight your product coming to market. They will fight it because they don't want to change. They don't want the industry to change. They don't want to see anything different than they've done the last 10 years. So you have to think about those people in the process as well and how you make it an easier transition through that process. As we wrap up here, I wanted to get a couple more uh, book recommendations or perhaps resource recommendations. You brought to light uh, Eric Ree's Lean Startup as yeah. one of the books that has impacted the way that you think about growing the business. Is there any other resource that maybe you would refer to your you know, 20 years younger self as a, as a then starting out entrepreneur? We are members of Capital Factory and Gordon, who runs the Capital Factory, has written a few books and he's done some on startups. I'd recommend people take a look at those because there's just a lot of those key things that seem real easy. And if you just think through it and get a little information, it'll help you when you set up that first company. I can tell you, we made a lot of mistakes and I could probably write a book on those mistakes at some point in time. Maybe we will. Uh, and maybe we will. <laughs> yeah, there you go. What's Gordon's last name? Because I'll go look for the books, but I have, I've not heard of Capital Factory. Gautery. So it's D-A-U-G-H-T-E-R-Y. And Startup Success was one of the first books that I read of his. Startup Success? Yes. Fantastic. I'll go look those up. And of course, these are always linked in the show notes. Well, guys, uh, I have really enjoyed getting to know more about how you think about entrepreneurship. I'm fascinated with the world of new product introduction for clean tech and climate solutions. And I am eager to see how this new seed stage, seed stage investment leads to your series A. Certainly keep us abreast. Let us know how we can help you with that. As we wrap up, let's end today with a bold prediction. If you're listeners to the show, then you'll know that we always end the show with this question. What one thing do you see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? In my crystal ball, you know, I think we're seeing an explosion of solar energy coming to the market. And people will look at that and say, okay, that sounds good, but I'll come to an end, right? Well, energy is, is something that gives us so much potential to do other things. We can create clean water from energy. We can create more systems, more automation, cleaner air. There's a lot of things can be done, carbon capture. So the more we're going to see that that industry continue out for, I think we're, we're talking about 20, 30, 40 years, uh, we'll make better and better solar power. And I think there's a real growth in the way we think around clean energy and clean living. And I think we're going to see that propel. I think we're going to get carbon to reduce. I worked in the in the energy industry before, and that startup, it's a energy was around oil and gas. I think we've hit peak oil. I think it's I think it's going to be on a decline. We're not going to get rid of that. And I'm not saying anything against the oil industry. What I'm saying is I think we have a lot of young people that see 
the need for clean water, clean air, and a clean environment. And they're willing to spend on it. They're willing to adapt to it. And they're willing to be part of it as growing that. And that's my trend prediction that I see. And just to dovetail into that, I think there's a great X factor that's unknown, and that's global warming. And so a non-political statement, what global warming is going to be doing is going to put renewable energy on a faster and faster track going forward. You've been listening to a fantastic conversation over the last hour with two co-founders that I've enjoyed getting to know, Steve Arters and Tim Mattis of Renew Robotics. You can find out more about their company and their mission at R-E-N-U-B-O-T, RenewBot.com. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us here on Suncast and sharing a bit of your story. Thank you. Thank you, Nico. All right, Solar Warriors, that is a wrap on today's episode, and I... Really hope that you enjoyed, as much as I did, the entrepreneurial stories that Steve and Tim shared with us. You know, I was really energized by hearing how they have bobbed and weaved, navigated every twist and turn that you can think of in the entrepreneurial journey, including going and grabbing a spot in the Solar Prize, which is something that that I would encourage all of you to do. We here at Suncast Media are part of the Solar Prize Accelerator program as ambassadors. And I'd be happy to make introductions for you. If that's something that you'd like, why don't you reach out to me directly, Nico at mysuncast.com. Just put in the subject Solar Prize introduction. Uh, you could also go to mysuncast.com and click on the work with Nico button uh, in there somewhere. Put that you'd like to be introduced to the Solar Prize folks as well. Or perhaps you are like several other entrepreneurs who have taken me on as their one-to-one coach uh, or their executive group coach. Happy to have that conversation with you as well. Or if you're just eager to chat, there are ways to do that as well. If you poke around on the website, you're bound to find them. I do hope that you will keep tuning in here. And if we've earned your trust, because this is the first time you've listened to a Suncast episode, I hope that you were pleased. And if you were, would you please hit that subscribe button? It really matters. If you'd rate and review, it gives us all more insight into how and why you plan to show up again or perhaps why you're not going to show up again i'd love to know that frankly just email me nico at mysuncast.com and tell me all the dirty details of why you did or didn't like the episode now either way i hope that you will check us out again next week bring you another tactical tuesday and another long form thursday episode diving into topic just like this and you're gonna love it next week is chock full two entrepreneurs i know very very closely for now keep doing what you're doing Remember, you are what you listen to. Thank you so much for showing up, Solar Warrior. It is half the battle. <laughs>